Then he said, let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. From the book of Genesis, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, it is quite a task to preach after that reading from 2 Timothy with that hanging over my head. But it always hangs over our head, does it not, fathers? And those of you ever taught, called to teach, to, to speak the word of God, to know that it is the word in season and out of season. It is good for convincing, for rebuking, for exhorting. And it is an urgent word. It always speaks into our lives when we most need it. And so now we want, I want to look, if you will, with me at this passage in Genesis, and I want to come to it from a particular vantage point with a specific set of questions. It is the same set of questions that I hope to come to the Bible with in our Bible study that's going to begin in January. In fact, I have a date now, January 19th. We're going to begin meeting in the late afternoon, early evening, likely around 4.30 at Cultivate 712, which is Waco's downtown art gallery. Some of you came to uh, an informational meeting about this last month. Some of you have heard rumors. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about up here. All of you are well within, uh, you're, you're, you're great. It's great. You don't have to know what's going on. Some people have been asking me, is this a church plant? And, and I don't want to say no to that, but I believe when Jerry Kramer was here, he reminded us that church planting is not what we should be consumed with, but disciple-making. This is an undertaking of making disciples. With the knowledge that where disciples are made, the church grows in many ways. Just as I would not suggest a young man or young woman begin dating without the possibility of marriage being on the horizon eventually, neither do we undertake this work not wanting a parish to spring up either in Waco or the surrounding area. We do not know where it will go, but we do know where it will begin. It will begin in Scripture, in a Bible study, and it will begin in the study of the beginning. In this book of Genesis, this epic of origins that begins Holy Writ. And we're going to come to the Bible with a specific set of questions, specifically this What are human beings? What are human beings? Who are, are we? Why are we? The answer to this, like any answer that arrives out of Holy Scripture, is both simple and yet its simple surface belies the depths for those who long to delve them. Let me give you the simple answer. Who are human beings? What are they? Human beings are priests and kings. Priests and kings. In fact, those two words do not belong in separate separateness until after sin enters the picture. To be a priest is to be a king. To be a king is to be a priest. And to be a human being is to be both of these. This is the answer. We were given care to cultivate the garden temple named Eden. We were to be 
co-regents with God, not only caring for this garden temple, but extending its reach across the entirety of the earth until every corner of the cosmos was God-filled to spread this sanctuary across the whole world. Human beings are neither heaven-bound, purely spiritual beings, nor are they earth-locked creatures of mere materiality, but rather were created to be the agents who exist at the overlap of these places, holding both heaven and earth together, pulling them ever closer, because heaven and earth, their, their difference is not meant to suggest ultimate opposition. Their difference is meant to tell us of a future marriage. Even in their design, they betray betrothal. Just as when you see man and woman and understand what they are, the idea of marriage must spring into your head so that when you see heaven and earth, you are to understand them as meant to be together. And human beings are those who are meant to be the matchmaker between the two realms. To us was giving the weaving and the wooing of these two places so that at last they would become one. But like the best man seeking to seduce his best friend's bride, we instead set out to get what we could for ourselves, seeking to grab hold of earth, to get a grip, to put earth solidly beneath our feet, only to find it slipping out from underneath us and swallowing us whole. Yet priests we remained, broken and battered, perverse and crooked, yes, but imbued with power nonetheless. And so the story continues out of the garden, cascading down from our first parents, careening into Abraham and his line, and reaching a critical point in the text for today where we meet Jacob, heel grabber is what his name means. And he earned the name rightly, for he came shooting forth out of the womb, grasping to the lower part of his brother Esau's leg. And he's been ever seeking a leg up ever since, a leg up that he might grab hold of and ride to his own blessing. He took advantage of Esau's great hunger one day and sort of bungled his brother out of his birthright. Worse yet, he acted the devilish deceiver. He and his mother conspired together to get one over on his blind father and to get his brother's blessing for himself. It was the reception of this blessing, the stealing of this blessing, that sent Jacob fleeing his house years ago before the text we read today. What a strange fate, is it not? For someone who's received supposedly this wonderful blessing to have to shoot out of everything you've ever known, to have to set out beyond all family, beyond everything you've ever had, and to have to go it alone. What a strange what a strange fate for one receiving supposedly the great blessing. 
But blessings are complicated things in scriptures as we find over and over again. We cannot deny that Jacob, in the interim, has received abundant material blessings out of the house of his father-in-law, Laban. So he, he ends up leaving with nothing to his name other than this blessing, and he emerges years later in the land of his father, and he has abundant wealth. He's the head of a mighty household. He's sort of swindled Laban out of a lot of what he considered his. He comes with the best of Laban's treasures now under his possession. This is a motif that returns time and again throughout Scripture. Time and again, you find the people of God under a foreign yoke, oppressed by someone from another land, under their control, and yet they make it out. But they make it out not just with their lives, but with the best treasures of that land now in their control. We can think of the Exodus. We can think of Scripture telling us this story time and again. You don't just get out. You get out with all the good stuff in your grasp. But possessing the blessing is not enough, and it is not the end of Jacob's story. It is not wrong to grab hold of something. That does not prevent the priestly function. What prevents it is holding on, not for the sake of others, but for the sake of yourself. This is indeed the root of all sin, perhaps where all sin springs from, seeking to get a grasp for yourself. But suddenly we find Jacob... Well, he's not holding on to the blessing. What's he doing? He's giving it away. In the first part of the passage that we read, he's sending these companies ahead. He thinks Esau is coming with an army. And Jacob's not much of a fighter. So he's thinking, okay, well, maybe he can kill these many people, and then I can get out. I'll be in the back of the line, and I can hightail it if things go south. So he sends all these people ahead of him. We actually jumped over some of the reading, and, and he sort of changes his strategy a little bit. It's a little bit less cowardly, still clever, which Jacob always is. And he decides, oh, what I'll do is I'll tell everyone, I'll send all the good stuff ahead of me, and then I'll tell people as the stuff's coming, hey, tell Esau, hey, here's your gift. This is for you. Please take it. Your brother Jacob is so happy to give you all of this. And so what happens? He's giving away the blessing. To who? Esau. Esau, the brother, bungled out of his birthright, becomes Esau the blessed. Make no mistake, fear is the motivating factor in Jacob's decision. And yet it is a good offering a priest, but a bent and broken priest, he remains in giving this gift. It is a wonderful gift, clouded with the mist of sin and self-interest, perhaps the best that this race of wounded priests can muster. And then he suddenly finds himself isolated yet again. But then he hears something. Oh, no. I'm not as alone as I thought I was. Perhaps I should have kept a few of my men around me. 
He finds himself suddenly brawling with an invisible opponent, some bulking bruiser, the very thing that he was trying to avoid. A sudden and violent confrontation is upon him, and he's fighting for his life. Could it be Esau? Did he sneak behind the enemy lines? Has he come for me at last after all these years? Not hairy enough. I don't think so. It's not Esau. So who is this suddenly attacking me? Is it one of his men? Has he hired an assassin? What is going on? Well, curiosity gets the better of him. He's taking a beating. Again, Jacob's not the fighter. He's taking it on the chin, in the stomach, every which way he's getting hit. And finally, his opponent seeks to flee, and you think that Jacob would say, okay, fine, get out of here. But in his stubbornness, he refuses. He refuses to let go. Old heel grabber is up to his old tricks yet again. He will know the identity of his attacker, for the day spring is about to break. The sun and its chariots are cresting over the hill. He just has to hold on long enough to know who this is. Let go, the voice comes. Not until you bless me. Jacob manages to spit out beneath gritted teeth, surrounded on all sides by his sweat-soaked beard. What is your name? The voice replies. Heel grabber, Jacob replies, somewhat proudly perhaps, for his present grip proves his point. Not anymore. No, no, no. You're not heel grabber anymore. You're the God grappler. You're the heaven holder. And you who have sought with all of your being to hold God will behold God with your whole self. You will see him face to face. He's given a new name. Is this the extent of the blessing? We do not know. But it is a blessing nonetheless. For names, for the ancient people, and indeed for us, even if we like to try to ignore it, denote a deep seat, perhaps the deepest seat of identity. That's why you see names changing all the time throughout Scripture, because you see someone saying, that is not who you are anymore. This is who you are now. And let us not forget that Adam's first priestly task was to give names to all the creatures in the garden, to therefore speak of their origin, yes, but also to give word to their destiny. Jacob has received a similar gift. Israel he is now. Jacob no more. But who is that figure? Who is it? Is it God? Is it an angel? Is it, what is it? Who is this? Well, the text is wonderfully, beautifully, frustratingly, depending on how you take it, ambiguous. But here's what's not ambiguous. The very vocation of humanity is not lost. We who hid from God in the garden are yet still fated to behold him face to face. 
This is the promise that Jacob, that Israel receives. And we might ask, does he not fail by, by grasping? Is that not an automatic disqualification? Is that not the very thing that, that, his, that Adam and Eve did that every sinner has ever done is by grasping? Well, perhaps it's just the mere mercy of God that allows him to continue. But notice what he's holding. Not the favor of his fellow man, not his riches. He's holding on to heaven. Perhaps his old habits were not entirely wrong. They were simply misdirected. Perhaps they were poorly aligned and now better aligned. For it is not holding on to earth that we were meant for, but grabbing hold of heaven to pull it down, to bring the two together. And yet I would not, I would not begrudge you if you find the answer a little bit dissatisfying. If you want more, if you want more, if you want someone who's not just a shadow of the story of the true priesthood, but is the fulfillment of it, I would not begrudge you if you were to say to me today, if only there were someone who were not compromised. If only there were one who had not laid hold of the earth, but for the sake of others had grabbed heaven itself. If only there were one willing to enter into the very dominion of death to wrestle sin and to free the treasures from that kingdom and to bring them out into the light of day. If only there were a true priest, an honest king. If only there were one who could restore his brother's stolen birthright. If only there were one who would offer food freely to every hungering soul. If only there were one who would give a new name to those who have forgotten their name, who have forgotten what they are called and to what they are called. Could there ever be one like this? Could there be one who would cling to earth and heaven simultaneously? Could there ever be one who would arise holding both God and humanity in himself? Would such a one as this ever be here who would endure the voices and the violence that seek to tear God and humanity apart, who seek to rend heaven and earth asunder. Could there ever be one like this? What would we do if we ever met a man like that? What would you do? What would I do? Would you avoid it? Would you deny him? Would you betray him? Would you seek to plant him on the earth, driving stakes into him like a butterfly pinned, making a mockery of its wings? Would we fasten him to a tree so he has a front row seat for the heaven that denies him help and the God that refuses to rescue him? But what if after all of that, he didn't let go? 
What if after all the violence, all the voices, all the betrayal, all the denial, what if he kept hanging on like his ancestor Israel? What if he said, I refuse to let go of God even if I am God forsaken? What would happen? What would happen? Would not the most ragged, God-forsaken edges of the cosmos be suddenly and radically God-filled? The story continues. It leads us to the altar. It leads us to the altars of our own lives. It makes us ask questions about to what we are called, what it means to be a priest and king, what it means to be a human being. The story goes on and on, but it does have an end point. And it is a point that you and I are invited into today. For the sake of the world, and for the life of others. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.